rolling. Pastor's Cut podcast for the week of July 24th, 2020. What is it? Two. Two. Dose. 2020 dose. <laughs> there we go. 20 dose. Welcome to uh, the podcast. Uh, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 20. We're just getting our series on anger up off the ground, good and angry. Um, and I, I want to start with a little banter here about what really ticks you off, what really gets your goat. Can I just put a little commercial in first? Uh, we're doing our back-to-school events for our five partnership schools. Uh, we have an entire schedule out and about of volunteering, and I would ask those of you who are community group leaders and teachers to include your community group to, to adopt or to sponsor one of those back-to-school events. It be a great service opportunity for your community group, and you can go out to lunch afterwards, and it's just built a little bit of community away from the Sunday morning gathering. There's my pitch. Now... <laughs> what ticks you off? Dave, Marissa, what are your pet peeves? What gets your goat, to put it in good Oklahoma vernacular? <laughs> Give it to me. If I see someone that's hurting somebody, hurting their kid or hurting another kid, dude, you, I'm not a happy camper. Not only am I not a happy <laughs> camper, I'm, I'm putting my dad hat on and I'm putting protector on. Okay. So, so if you see a parent maybe overly disciplining their children in public, that, that gets to you. Overly disciplining... If reading the room, if it looks okay, that's that's one thing. If if I see signs of abuse, if I see signs of neglect, that's not good. Yeah, hurting a child. Jesus said yes. you'd be better off to have a heavy stone tied around your neck and thrown into the deepest part of the sea. So it seemed to have irritated Jesus. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Marissa, what about you? I think just uh, if someone is being deliberately obtuse, um, if you're <laughs> displaying a lack of compassion, mm-hmm. I'm just. Thinking about the school board meeting still last from last night. <laughs> oh, wow! Oh goodness! So, Throw it um, in! Throw it in! Let's go! Political theater at the expense of actual human beings. Really, um, I did not. Upsets w- was me. this a particular school board? Or are you not going to reveal? TPS. Them? I don't think we need to get into it more than that, or it becomes a different kind of podcast. But how come um, your face is turning red right now? <laughs> oh goodness! But uh, it's it's frustrating when people are putting put their own ambitions and their own. Um, uh, their own agendas above other people, especially children. Yeah. So. Mm. How about that? What if every public servant said, we're going to operate for the common good? What would that look like? It'd be a lot more good. <laughs> It'd be, that would be, be a lot more, more good. Exactly the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. So, so I'm going to speak as a supervisor um, and as a, a manager of, of people, leader of people. Um, I don't like lack of follow-through. Mm-hmm. If somebody says they're going to do something, I want them to do it, and it really it, it irritates me when I delegate something. I hope y'all are getting the hint here. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, y'all are, y'all are great. If, if I say, hey, I Brad, to... though, watch out. Brad, I, I'm thinking about you. Nah, he's all right. Um, if, Everybody if, needs a straight guy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> if, if I say, hey, I need you to take care of this, and you know, you double back a week later, and hey, did you take care of that? No, I hadn't gotten around to it yet. I interpret that as a lack of respect. Whether it's intended that way or not, boy, that just really that gets to me. Hmm. So... Yeah, but I've also learned you can expect what you inspect. So if I delegate something, if I really expect it, I got to double back. 
to make sure that it happened or it may not happen. Accountability. Yep. <laughs> so just like good, competent work folks. All right. So uh, we are jumping into this series on anger, good and angry. Uh, we laid some groundwork the first week um, with uh, anger. Again, it's not an emotion. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> it is an emotion. Anger is not a sin. It's an emotion. It's a God-given emotion. God experiences anger. That seems to be one of the characteristics that he's given us as well in our personalities. So anger itself is not a sin, but it can lead to sin if we use it in destructive ways. And throughout this teaching series, we're going to be looking at people, uh, most of which used anger in destructive ways to say, how can we learn from that? How do we make sure we don't repeat that same mistake that this person did? And so we're in Numbers chapter 20, uh, one of the most vague and interesting passages mm -hmm. of Scripture ever. Okay, so I'm going to ask Marissa to read um, the whole passage, sure. uh, verses 1 through 13. But let me set this up. So the Israelites had been in the desert now for 40 years. They were on the verge of the promised land where they had been before. Uh, and as you would imagine, in the desert, water is needed. And they were in short supply of water. That led to grumbling. So here um, on the edge of the Israelites entering the Holy Land is another huge test. Marissa, please read. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into the wilderness, that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community, so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels! Must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was pro proved holy among them. Oh, you almost ah, made it. I you know, where he was it. proved. Yeah, we would, uh, if we were trying to be perfectionist, we would go back and edit, but, but it is what it is. Okay, so let's And you did better than I would have done. <laughs> let's be honest. Dave would have thrown in some Greek words in there. Yeah, so, uh, okay, so let's do the setup here before we get to the actual event of anger. Um, I see a lot building up on Moses here. And when, when we react in anger, it's typically because it's not just that one event. Usually there's been a buildup to this. So you have the death of Miriam, mm -hmm. sister, co-leader, gifted artist. And so Moses is probably dealing with a bit of grief. Um, not only that, there was another problem. And I know we've all been to that place. They go, if I just have one more problem today, I'm going to break. <laughs> you know, And that probably was where Moses was. There was no water. And this had been a recurring problem, you know, uh, over the years. Take on top of that, Moses had been leading for 40 years. And he was fatigued. Right. He, was, he was probably just flat, worn out, and tired. 
And so all of this kind of builds up. And I, I would even say that there's one more thing that when he goes in to pray before the Lord, he says the glory of the Lord, you know, was was there. I think Moses wanted some of the wrath of God. And mm-hmm. so, you know, God was kind of going easy on on the Israelites when he wanted God, instead of giving water, he wanted God to give some fire. Right. And so I think all of that builds up to this crescendo moment uh, with Moses in front of the rock. Uh, y'all just talk to me a little bit about what you see here, what you don't see here, what you what you think. It's it's another speech, but the, the crazy thing is this is a different generation. The, the 40 years have passed, so all the people that grumbled at the beginning when they left Egypt to, to wander around in the desert for 40 years, the people who thought they were going to conquer the promised land right away, and because they were grumbling and didn't trust God, it didn't happen, they've all died. This is their kids, and their kids are there, and their kids are saying basically the same speech. You could go back in time, and this is the exact same speech. Why did you lead us out of the desert? So he's so frustrated because not only did their parents not get it, but now they don't get it. And they've heard the stories. They've, <laughs> they grew up in the desert. They saw God provide time and time and time again. And so I, I see this sense of frustration, but also we've been around this mountain before. We've been around this <laughs> mountain so many times before. Why aren't you getting it? I, I hear that, that level of frustration within Moses. Yeah, maybe a little bit of disappointment too, because you, you'd think, uh, okay, that previous generation, they died. The next generation will be new and improved. They'll be right. better. That's ah, just the same old story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned the grief that he felt about Miriam, and that was very real. I mean, she was his protector. Um, and we have this passing of this older generation, uh, the generation that God had decided would not go into the promised land because of the rebellion. And so there was this all this history and shared uh, community life that was lost with the passing of this generation. And Moses, you know, we've talked about this before in previous sermon series. He was a guy that constantly needed to be reminded, you have people around you. You're not alone in this. And uh, for him to lose Miriam, who was such a profound part of his leadership team, um, she and Aaron, even though they fought sometimes, they were in competition sometimes, I mean, he was very um, intimately close with his brother and sister. And to lose them was losing something intrinsic about himself, not only the, the history of the people, but his history. You know, she was there from the time that he was in the Nile. He, That's right. She uh, watched over him at that time and reconnected to him with their mother. Uh, she was a profound a worship leader and a prophet. And so he was feeling all of this grief. And grief is, um, you know, grief knocks you off your feet. And even the most faithful and mature people... Um, when they are uh, missing somebody that understood them and knew them so intimately, and then that person is gone, and there's one less person on earth that knows you, I mean, that is that really knocks you on your feet. Um, and you get distracted, and you're untethered, and that is a time when anger and frustration comes on in a really surprising way for a lot of people, just as it did with Moses. Um, and, you know, he didn't have the luxury of turning back on his duties. He couldn't tell the people, hey, stop being awful for a second. <laughs> will, I, <laughs> will I grieve properly? Um, his duties didn't stop. And their rebellious complaining, that was just like you guys were saying, was that final straw and added to his grief because he did have hope in that next generation that they were going to be different, that, that this was the, the chosen of the chosen who would actually go into Israel and build up this great nation for God. And this is, this is how they're behaving, just like their parents. I mean, that, This is who I have to work with? Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is who God has chosen. Um, so yeah, that was grief <laughs> compounded on grief. 
Yeah, and, and it's tough. Uh, you know, when we talk about grief, it's tough to make good decisions when you're grieving. And I tell people all the time, I hope this is good counsel, um, especially after they lose a spouse, don't make any big decisions for a full year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, moving, remarrying, all these things, you're just not thinking clearly. And give yourself some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no need to rush in. But Moses didn't have that luxury. The other thing I see here that, that would kind of ramp up his anger in verse 5, it says, you know, this place has no grain or figs or grapevines or pomegranates. Well, if they had gone into the promised land 40 years earlier when they should have, they would have had all these things. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those deals that you're, you're blaming God for something that's a result of what your parents did. Don't, don't, blame, don't put that on God. Don't put that on me, Ricky Bobby. You know, don't, <laughs> don't put that on God. This is on you. Okay, and so we, we do like to blame others for sometimes the pain we inflict on ourselves. We like to blame God, too. Okay, so now let's get to the event. Mm-hmm. And this has been one that I've, I've heard the trite answers over the years of, you know, Moses' anger, uh, and I'm going to use the word rash. Okay, and I'm going to use that word very intentionally, and we'll make a connection here in a minute. Maybe y'all know where I'm going with that. But, but Moses acted rashly, and because of what he did, he was not allowed to go into the promised land. So he lost a bit of his reputation and a bit of his reward, right? So what did he do that was so rash that God said, you can't go into the promised land? There's some, there's some theories about what he does, what he doesn't do here to dishonor God. Let's, let's play with that for a while. Or not. <laughs> or we'll just sit inside. We're being respectful. I, yeah, we're, Dave, take it. I just went. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, um, that's what I feel like saying right now um, because it is hotly contested and every scholar has their own opinion uh, about what that is. Even I've got the Maxwell Leadership Bible and John Maxwell <laughs> even has four spiritual flaws of a leader and he lists several of things that Moses did wrong. I, honestly, if, if I look at this, I, for the very first time, you see Moses' patience wear thin. Moses was incredibly patient throughout his entire career. Instead of interceding for the people of Israel, he didn't do that in this mm-hmm. passage. He also, in this moment, instead of doing exactly as God commanded, he spoke on behalf of God without actually saying, God said, I'll provide for you. He said, must we do that? He, he assumes the responsibility for the people instead of letting God bear the responsibility for the people. So I think there's something in, in that about whose people were they really, who was really in charge. And Moses, for a moment, in his, his quickly reacting to what was going on, said, I've got to take up the slack and I've got to do it in my own power, or we have to do it. Maybe there was even some sense with that, that same language that... that you know, God spoke and created everything. We, you know, we want to create mankind in our image and likeness. Maybe he was thinking he was including God in that, that we, God, Aaron, myself, but, but maybe he was speaking for God when, when God just wanted him to say, look, God provides. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Must we bring water from this rock? That's uh, referred to as a deadly pronoun because he puts himself on par with God, that God needs me to do this yeah. for him. Uh, that, that's a big contender, and there's a lot of validity in that, mm-hmm. of uh, maybe the Israelites had given in to celebrity culture just a little bit, and Moses had started to pay attention to his own press a little bit too much, mm-hmm. and he thought it was in his power and authority that mm-hmm. he could do this. So, Marissa, what do you think that Moses does here that, that 
he acts rashly in anger that causes him to lose his reward. Right. So we shouldn't downplay the fact that the thirst in Zen was very real, that this was a desolate, arid, uh, awful place to be. <laughs> and you know, we've both been in Israel recently. I mean, it's just rocks. Right. There is nothing but rocks. There's a reason why he drew water out of a rock, because that was there were no other options. <laughs> um <laughs> But they had a really beautiful opportunity here to see the glory of God bringing life into this arid environment and bringing life out of a dead place. Um, Moses could have taught them about the water of God. He could have taught them about um, how he brings life to arid hearts. And these, you know, it reminds me a lot about what we were talking about with the withered hand of the Pharisees, um, how, how God has the power to bring so much life to things that appear withered and dead. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4, I mean, for all the... The uh, theories that there are about what he did wrong, should he have tapped once instead of twice, right. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, Paul says the rock was Christ. Um, the picture of a rock struck for our salvation is Christ crucified, and anyone who drinks of the water he gives will never thirst again. Um, so this was this beautiful opportunity to teach this greater truth. But what I see as Moses' sin here is that he was a little bit of Jonah in that moment, where he felt like this generation— didn't deserve it, just like their parents didn't deserve it. And so he withheld God from them. And I thought, you know, when when he doesn't um, mention God's name in what he does, um, how he says us instead of saying uh, God did this, um, did he forget? Was he so angry that he forgot about God? Or was he putting himself on par with God? I think there was a little bit of withholding God's name from the people and not wanting to show them, like not casting pearls before swine in a, in a way and, and just judging the people at that moment saying that you don't deserve to see God's mm-hmm. glory. You don't deserve to see God's holiness in this moment. Um, you know, uh, there are all these beautiful ideas about water flowing from rock and how many people in that crowd do you think really understood that the way that they could have? When he said, look, you rebels, <laughs> look what you made us do. Um, no no greater God-honoring purpose was being served here, except for that he did save his people through giving them the water. Um, so it was really an incredibly um, difficult um, or an incredibly beautiful lesson that they were missing out on. And... Um, and I really don't think he forgot God because, you know, in just a few moments earlier, he was just as angry right after the people complained. But he went to God. He prostrated himself and, and asked for uh, God's guidance. Um, so he wasn't forgetting God, but he was withholding God from the people. Um, uh, I think that's why he God prepared him to be removed from leadership because you cannot lead a people if you don't love a people. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The basis of this nation, the basis of Israel when they entered the promised land, really needed to be established on uh, the knowledge that God was faithful, that God was a rock, that God was their strength, that God was their salvation, that he loved them and would provide for them. And Moses, at this moment, was not able to be that leader for the people that brought them around to God. So, so the word you use there several times is the word deserve, and I'm going to camp out on that word for just a minute, um, and then I'm going to go out on a limb. Because I think that's what it comes down to. Moses felt like the people deserved something, and he felt like they didn't deserve something. So it's interesting. God says, I want you to speak to the rock. But what Moses does instead is he speaks to the people. And he says, you know, what they really needed at that moment was refreshment. Instead, Moses took it upon himself to rebuke them. He said, well, if God won't do it, I'll do it for for him. You know, And it's that idea of I need to give these people what I think they deserve. Now, here's where I'm going to go out on a limb. 
I think Moses also struck the rock because he didn't want to give the people what he thought they didn't deserve. Perhaps, and this is one theory that's kind of floated by John R.W. Stott, who's a theologian I respect very highly. Can't go wrong with Stott. Can't Gotta go wrong the with Stott. R.W. in there. I love the R.W. <laughs> you know, let's figure out what that R.W. stands for. But what, what he says is Moses struck the rock so that the water wouldn't flow out because the people didn't know that he was told just to speak to the rock. So he strikes the rock, and if no water comes, he goes, well, I tried. I guess you just don't deserve water. Mm. So Moses is, in a way, kind of playing God. He's giving the people what he thinks they deserve, a rebuke. That's not what they needed. They needed refreshment right here. And, and Moses also tries to withhold what he thinks they don't deserve, water, and he wants them to suffer a bit. And in that playing God, that's where Moses had lost perspective, and where he lost his right and his responsibility to lead the people. Now, some of that's speculation, but yeah. that, that does seem, I like that because the, the, the punishment fits the crime a little bit more there mm -hmm. than just mm -hmm. tapping a rock versus speaking to it. That seems to be, to say you can't go into the promised land because of that, that seems to be out of proportion. But God can do whatever he wants to. <laughs> but I think we see here Moses playing God, and I think about how that applies to anger today. Um, as followers of Jesus, we are followers of Jesus. We're not God. And so I think we need to be really careful about feeling like we're the final authority on rebuking people here and there, especially in this day and time when people need refreshment. I mean, I think about all the bad news we hear. Let's not forget as followers of Jesus, we are called to bear good news mm -hmm. of refreshment to the world. Uh, and when we become shrill, like the rest of culture, that, that doesn't. We're playing God, not, not following Christ. Right. And I think the same thing is, is true on the other side, that you know sometimes we try to withhold. And I wonder sometimes if our silence about the gospel is our way of saying, well, we just want those people to burn. And just to put it very crassly, sometimes we withhold the gospel message from others because deep down we really don't think they deserve it. And maybe if they change their lives a little bit and get to a place where they deserve it, then we'll share the gospel with them. We'll wait for them to clean up their mm -hmm. lives. So I, I say we need to be careful about the same uh, way of treating the word deserve because we, like Moses, may lose our reputation and may lose our reward. So the reason I, I use that word rash is um, the psalmist, Psalm 106, and this is a good cross-reference. I don't think you should teach this passage without going to Psalm 106, recounts the history of Israel. And it says this in Psalm 106, verse 32 and 33, By the waters of Meribah they angered the Lord, the trouble came to Moses because of them, for they rebelled against the Spirit of the Lord, and rash words came from Moses' lips. And that idea of rash words, again, Moses rebuked when he should have refreshed. He, he played God instead of obeying God. And that's always a dangerous place to be. So I think this is a whole uh, cautionary tale uh, against being rash in our anger. And so let's talk about that for just a minute. I think we all have those moments when we're rash. So how do we protect against being rash in our anger? I think it is just um, being self-aware and self-reflective when you start feeling anger. What are the root causes of my anger and what are the best responses to it? Just like you said 
when uh, we withhold the gospel from people, are we really saying, I prefer you to burn in hell? Yeah. Uh, yeah. If we take it to the logical conclusion, yeah, we are. So to be um, self-aware enough to say, oh my goodness, what am I really saying about this person? Um, what am I really trying to say in this moment? And when we're acting rashly, that's probably not a great time to be mm. real self-reflective. <laughs> so um, that's when practices like the examine can be so helpful or just any time when it's like, oh, man, I have really messed up here. How did I miss where God was working? How was I not in tune with what I should should have done in this moment? And who do I need to apologize to? Um, I notice that Moses does not apologize to anybody here. <laughs> no, he doesn't. But repentance is a freeing thing <laughs> yeah, for those who yeah. know how to embrace it. So, Darren, one thing, one, I don't know if you can call it a spiritual discipline as much you could call it a work habit or, or whatever that I think you do really well. You're very intentional in, in thinking through every possible scenario before you make a decision on a big decision. You, you, rather than pulling the trigger right away, you take time to process. I think to avoid being rash, it, it, it's necessary for us to take a step back from the situation, mm -hmm. to take time to process, to really look at it from every angle before we pull the trigger. And, and I know there's been a couple times you've coached me, don't make decisions quite so fast <laughs> yeah. for that very reason, well. because sometimes it might be spot on, but it's worth taking a little bit more time to process so you don't make the rash decision. Yeah, and, and I think a, a big part for me when I, and, and I know when I feel like I'm about to make a rash decision or say some rash words, and, and we all still do. Uh, I mean, there's a lot here in this passage about anger is something we have to guard against for our entire lives, I think Moses had an anger problem. He killed an Egyptian later in life. This <laughs> thing back to a commentary was like, well, he did kill somebody, but that was a long time ago. It's yeah, like, uh, excuse me, sir. He killed somebody. He killed somebody. <laughs> that was Obviously, he had some he had some rage issues, and we you know we need to yeah. guard against that. And I think too, there's a great part in here about anger being contagious. Hmm. The people were angry, and so uh, Moses felt like he needed to respond in kind. Uh, but I think for me, the number one thing I am learning to do when I know I'm about to act rashly is just shut my mouth. Um, it might be bottling it for a while, and I need to process it, but I, I know my tongue. I, I think a lot of things that I shouldn't say, and you know what? We often get in trouble for what we say, but rarely do we get in trouble for what we don't say. And just to shut my mouth, and if Moses would have just kept his mouth shut and spoke to the rock and not to the people... Um, things could have been very different for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's that's my word of counsel. I guess if, if there aren't young ears listening to this, I would say just, Darren, shut up. <laughs> just shut up. <laughs> yeah. So any last words? I do have one more little epiphany here at the end, but I want to let y'all have uh, the final say. Marissa, Dave, what you got? Yeah, I think one good thing to talk about in your community group is just reflecting on past instances where you may have acted in frustration or anger towards somebody in just passing or somebody that you're ministering to or have in your family, not so that you can beat yourself up about it, but just to consider how can I do it better in the future? Um, when was there a last time when you lashed out? How can you reframe that and bring glory to God in that situation instead? So so am I talking too much about social media here these days? That seems to be a... a I think we're all on social media too much, so it's probably Yeah, let's be honest. <laughs> we're all probably a little bit amount. too much there, hey, Scott, living keep, there, watching keep, the slacktivists. I keep <laughs> finding myself ringing that bell. Am I, am I doing it too much? No, you're good. We'll let you know. You're, you're hitting people where they are, so it's <laughs> fine. Because I, I think about being rash... Social media is the 
primo place where that happens. I mean, people pound out words before they think about right. it. And um, everyone has a megaphone now. And I think we need to, as Christians, I think we need to put down our megaphone and maybe, I don't know, tape our mouths shut for a while. And just remember, be constructive, not destructive. Oh, that's so good. I that's wonder brilliant. who said that. It's brilliant. <laughs> need to find out who said that. Dave, someone said that on Sunday. Maybe. <laughs> Dave, what you got? I... It's worth, while, while you're having that conversation, in every group, there's somebody who's really patient, who really, who, who's really, really good at, at biting their tongue, at, at living out that verse in James, being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It's worth asking that person, what do you do? Mm-hmm. What, what's your secret sauce to, to walking through that? Or, or when you have a difficult moment, rather than immediately reacting, just taking a step back and maybe asking around the room, who, who's really good at that? Who, who can handle that? And what do you do in that moment? What's your thought process like to try and deconstruct those thoughts enough so that maybe as, as a group, you can come up with some good tools to help you work through those moments to live out James' instruction to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. That, that's good. That'd be a great discussion for community groups. You know, how do you, uh, how do you recognize when you're being rash and how do you, how do you react against mm-hmm. being rash? I will give one last word of hope, um, and that Moses did not get to go into the promised land yet, because we go to the Mount of Transfiguration, and I always go go here when I uh, think about Moses. His his dreams in life did not come true. However, before Christ's crucifixion, he appeared um, on a mountain with Jesus and Elijah, and his feet were firmly on the promised land. So it's a simple idea that, that many times our dreams in this life don't come to pass, but there is a day of renewal and restoration and forgiveness and holiness. And not only was Moses in the Holy Land, but he got to stand next to the Holy One. Mm-hmm. And in a way, not only were his dreams restored, they were surpassed. It's always a good word of hope. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything else y'all are really angry about and want to air? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Should I we're start good. my coffee? <laughs> that, that's something that just makes me so angry. Go ahead and do it, Dave. I, no. I, I hate the sound of no, slurping. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to refrain. <laughs> no, do it. I want you to do it. Do it. I want to be angry. Okay. Can't win. I hate that sound. I hate the sound of people <laughs> slurping and chewing. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, for all of us here in downtown Tulsa, thanks for being a part of the Pastor's Cut podcast. And uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and grant you peace. Now and forever. Amen. 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 Amen.